Um, you're with us for the second of a three-part series uh, looking at uh, what the Bible as a whole has to say about justice. If you weren't here last week, um, do, do, let me encourage you, if you've got time, uh, go to the website or to the app or whatever and have a listen uh, to last week's uh, sermon. There we were thinking about the God of justice. Today we're thinking about uh, being people of justice. And then the final sermon next week, we'll be looking at a world of justice. So today thinking about what does it look like for us to be people of justice? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So that verse from the book of Micah has echoed down the centuries. At times it served as an inspiration, um, uh, giving a vision for, for the founding of whole nations providing a motivation for founding charities and campaigns. At other times, it has functioned as it did in its original context, as a rebuke to God's people, challenging the church when it's fallen into empty religion, neglected to care for the poor, made peace with unjust regimes. And it's still God's word to us today. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What a beautiful vision. <laughs> what, a, what a beautiful picture of a human life lived well in relation to others, to, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Whether you're a Christian or not um, this afternoon, surely we all want to be those kinds of people, to live that kind of life. And so again, we're going to think together about what it means. We're going to see the challenge of justice. We're going to think about the church as a community of justice. And we'll also think about the motivation for justice. And as we do that, we'll see that it is actually only the God of the Scriptures who can provide us with both um, a deep and firm foundation for a life of justice and a true uh, and lasting motivation for a life of justice. So first, the challenge of justice, because as we turn to our first reading from Leviticus chapter 19, we'll see that God's vision of justice goes far beyond what, what we might humanly expect. And we see that in his call to complete equality, in his call to complete equality. So um, come with me to the back to the first reading. If you've got your, close your Bibles, do you open them again. It'd be great to have us uh, looking together at Leviticus chapter 19 uh, on page 122. Is the flickering distracting people? It's distracting me. Um, would somebody just happy, do you want to just try turning that one off or something? It's gone, it's stopped now, but it's just quite, quite difficult. Thanks. Sorry. Let's see what it's like just with it, with it off or something. Whether it's super dark. That's, that's all right. People see me? See yourselves? Great. Okay, let's, so, sorry. Leviticus chapter 19, page 122. I'm going to read verse 15. We're thinking about the challenge of justice, and we see the challenge of complete equality. Verse 15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And I think, to be honest, so far, so familiar. We all get that justice means treating that person over there equally to this person over here. That's kind of almost what justice means. But come down with me just a few verses to verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
That is complete equality. So, so love your neighbor as yourself means that God's call to justice says it's not enough to treat that person over there the same as this person over here. No, I have to treat them both equally to how I would treat myself. I have to show the same concern and care for them as I do for myself, to expend the same effort for them as I would for myself. That is complete equality. And at the end of the chapter, um, God makes clear that this extends to to the foreigner in our midst. In other words, God doesn't allow us to define who our neighbor is, who we have to show a care and concern for, as people we like, or people who are similar to us from the same backgrounds, similar age, same ethnic background, same, same color skin. We have to, we're called to love those who are different to us, to show the same care and concern for them as we would for ourselves, to love them as we love ourselves. And I think on, on one level, that seems to us kind of obvious, that, that kind of complete equality. Uh, in fact, you know, the US Declaration of Independence says, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. There's a problem, though, which is they weren't including black men, and they definitely meant men. It's not self-evident. There's nothing self-evident about the idea that all human beings are equally valuable and equally precious. If you believe that, it's because you stand at the end of a long arc of moral revolution that finds its root in the Bible. The unique teaching that every human being is made in the image of God. From the baby in the womb to the great-grandmother on her deathbed, every human being is precious because every human being is made in the image of God. As Martin Luther King once said, there are no gradations, there's no no scale in the image of God. Everyone from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard, because everyone is made in the image of God. And so we are called to complete equality, to love our neighbor, whoever they are, whatever they look like, as we love ourselves. That's going to have all kinds of implications for us, all kinds of impact on all different areas of our life. I just want to offer one example from the word of work. I want us to imagine for a minute, imagine for a minute that you're a nurse caring for a ward of patients. And one of the patients has threatened to make a complaint against you. Do you spend more time and effort caring for them than every other patient? Do you spend less time caring for them than every other patient? Or do you give them the same care and concern as the other patients on the ward? What situations like that do you face? What does it look like to act justly? So that's the challenge of justice to complete equality. But there is also a challenge in these verses to radical generosity. Look down with me again at Leviticus chapter 19, at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Okay, so again, we're on familiar ground. If we're thinking about justice and injustice, it seems obvious that it is unjust to steal other people's stuff. We're cool with that. But Leviticus 19, the word of God tells us that it's not just unjust to steal other people's stuff. It's unjust not to share the stuff that we have been given that is rightfully ours. Come back with me to verse 9, just over the page. 
God says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the greenings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So God says, you are not to maximize your harvest. You are not to maximize your return. You're to leave some of it behind. Because that part, the gleanings, belong to the poor. They belong to the foreigner. They belong to those with less, to those without land. It's unjust, God says, to take it all for yourself. Instead, justice requires a radical generosity. And again, I think we've got a kind of intuition that that's right, that 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 kind of sharing, that kind of generosity is part of what it um, means to live justly. But why? When we look down at the foundations, look, if my money is mine, if it belongs to me, then then I might want to give money because um, it'll make me feel good about myself. Plenty of people give lots of money for that reason. I might want to give money because I feel guilty about my privilege. I think plenty of people give money for that reason. But, but, I, but I'm not required to give. It can't be, can't be a matter of justice to give. But my money isn't mine. And your money isn't yours. My stuff isn't mine, and your stuff isn't yours. It all belongs to God. 1 Chronicles 29, David says to the Lord, everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. Everything we have belongs to God. It's been given to us to steward and to use for his purposes, not ultimately for our own. And that's why the fourth century theologian Basil the Great can write these challenging words. He says this, listen to this, are you not then a robber for counting as your own what you have received to distribute? We're saying, are you not a robber when you keep for yourself what God gave you to share with others? Justice demands a radical generosity. And again, that's going to be a massive challenge for us in all kinds of different areas of our lives in all kinds of different ways. Again, I'm just going to offer one example from the workplace. So imagine you're working for a company that's thinking about tendering a contract, and there are two potential suppliers. One of the suppliers is significantly more expensive than the other, which means lower profits for your company, lower bonuses for everyone in the team. But the reason that supplier is more expensive is because they actually care about their staff. They pay the living wage. They care about working conditions. They look after people rather than squeezing every last bit out. What is doing justice? Is your job to maximize the profits for your company? Is that that what what you're being paid to do? Or does justice require that you take the more expensive supplier? What situations like that do you face? What would it look like to act justly? But it's important to remember that while, of course, God's vision of justice given to us in his word should shape all the corners of our lives as individuals, God is speaking here to a community. He's speaking not to disparate individuals, but to his people, calling them to build a community of justice. 
And as we turn to our second reading from Matthew's Gospel, we see again that Jesus speaks to a community, to his people, the church, to us, his body. And he calls us to build a community of justice. The church as a community of justice. So so do come with me to that second reading on page uh, 995. Um, I'm going to pick it up at uh, Jesus' words um, in verse 34, once I get there. So 995, Matthew 25, verse 34. This is what Jesus says. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When Jesus speaks of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, he is speaking of the poor, of the sick, of the imprisoned, of the lonely, of the outsider in the church community within God's family. That's always what Jesus means when he talks about brothers and sisters. And so in this parable, Jesus is calling the church, his people, to be a community of justice. In the words of the recently uh, departed pastor Tim Keller, genuine disciples of Christ will create a new community that does not exclude the poor, members of other races or the powerless, and instead deals with their needs sacrificially and practically. Genuine disciples of Christ will strive to build a community of complete equality and radical generosity. Now, Jesus is not teaching, let me be absolutely clear, Jesus is not teaching that we have to earn salvation by serving others. We saw last week that we are saved from God's judgment only through the cross of Christ, only as Jesus, God himself, bears the cost of justice on our behalf. That's the only way we can be right with God. That's the only way we can enter into eternal life. But Jesus is saying that striving to be a community of justice, to care for the poor among us, the out, the foreigner, uh, the the ill, that that's a non-negotiable mark of being a genuinely Christ-loving, Christ-serving, Christ-following community. It's not optional. It's not a nice-to-have. And Jesus isn't saying, he absolutely isn't saying, that we should only care about other Christians, that we're only required to act justly towards other Christians. Paul, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, says, um, we, sh- we are to do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Not because those who belong to the family of believers are more precious or or more in the image of God, but because the church is like the pilot project. The church is where it starts. 
The church is how we get this thing off the ground. The church is where the world, by God's grace, will see a community of justice. See what Christ is doing in us and through us. And so, as a community gathered here this afternoon, we have to ask ourselves this question. The Bible demands it of us. We have to ask ourselves this question. If Jesus returned in glory tomorrow, what do you think he'd say to us? Do you think he'd say, yes, you cared generously for for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine? Yes, you welcomed in the poor and the foreigner and made them feel at home. Come and receive your inheritance. This is not about um, the church as some kind of separate institution. It's certainly not about the church as a building. This is not about the programs we run or what the staff team do. This is about us. This is about us as a community. What kind of community are we going to be? How are we going to care for one another? How are we going to love one another? How are we going to treat one another? It's about all of us. And it'll look different for each of us. And so I, I can't stand here and say, guys, this is exactly what it will mean for you to play your part in building a community of justice. It will look different for different people. For me, I think a big part of it is simply being part of an Inspire group and going along. Because over time, I've got to know people deeply. And by God's grace, what a privilege to know people whose lives are very different to mine. Whose life experiences are very different to mine. And I love them to bits. <laughs> and so I'm trying to ask myself, you know, when life is hard for them, can I do more than just pray for them? Not that there's anything just about praying. But, but can, what, what practically could I do? Is there somewhere I need to point them for help? What, what, what does it look like to love them as I love myself? So for you this afternoon, maybe the next step for you would be to be part of an Inspire group so you get to know people better. If that's you, chat to me, chat to Hanny. We'd love to sort it out. Maybe it's saying that in the, middle of, in the midst of all the business of London, you're going to make time to spend time with people different to, who are different to you from church. Get, get, actually getting to know them, getting to know what's going on in their lives, what their problems are, what, what the issues are, right? And over time, maybe spend time practically serving them. I think that a lot of time the problem is that our relationships at church can be sufficiently superficial that these things never come to the surface. Genuine, real-life stuff never gets out into the open. And we cannot, we cannot be ashamed of needing help. We must not be ashamed of needing help. We're all needy people. And this is, what, this is a place that God calls to be a community of justice. We are not going to always get this right. We're not always going to get this right. Tragically, the church at times um, has been a place where the powerful exploit the weak rather than a place of equality. The church has been a place where greed rather than generosity reigns. Now, I don't think that that either of those things are true um, right now in in, in this community, but we're far from perfect. Of course we are. We are far from perfect. And we're never going to build a community of perfect justice. If we want to experience a community of perfect justice, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he returns, then we will experience perfect and complete justice. Until then, we strive to love one another in the power of the Spirit, to care for one another, and we bear with one another. And we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, even when it hurts.
So that's the challenge of justice. And that's the church as a community of justice. And finally, we're going to think about the motivation for justice. The motivation for justice. Because acting justly sounds good, right? To, to, do, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's the kind of verse that you get on those little cards with like a flowery picture behind, right? It's brutally hard. To really live that, that's going to mean expending, that's going to mean really caring for people, really pouring out time and effort for people who it's hard to love. Because you don't get to check out when you find out they're hard to love because they still are precious in God's sight. To really live that out is going to mean giving generously and radically to others in such a way that maybe your friends and family around you are going to say, what are you doing? That's craziness. It's going to mean very literally disadvantaging yourselves for the benefit of others, bringing yourself down, losing out so that others might gain. That's what justice requires. So why on earth are we going to do that? What possible motivation could keep us going in that? I was speaking um, to someone last week who said that they heard a leader in the charity sector um, say that their motivation in seeking justice in their work was anger. They said in a public forum, I'm angry and I tell everyone in my organization to be angry. It's a powerful motivator, anger. And there is a place, of course there is a place for righteous anger. But if you run on anger, if, that's, if, if anger at injustice is your fuel, what kind of person are you going to be? Will you bring justice or vengeance? Look, I don't think anyone's going to stand at the front of, of, of it publicly and say this, but for a lot of people, the motivation for living justly is looking good. To signal to others, to show others that I'm a good person, that I care about the right things, that I care about the right causes. But that leads to an ugly arrogance self-righteousness, and it's the opposite of the beautiful humility described in that verse in Micah, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. So how can we act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, not pridefully with our God? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. There's the call to justice. How does the verse end? For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God's people are called to remember who God is and what he's done for them. Bringing them justice, showing them mercy. That's their God-given motivation to act justly. It's the same for us. God's people then were called called to look back to the Exodus, to God's great deliverance. And we're called to look back to the cross to see all that Christ has done for us. That is our motivation. That is the motivation for justice. Because when we remember, when we call to mind the depths of our sin, when we're willing to actually open our eyes and see the ugliness of what we've done to ourselves and to others, to recognize the ways we've defaced and marred the image of God in us, when we see that and yet see that Christ saw past all of that. Christ saw past all of that and saw the image of God in us, beautiful and precious. And so he loved us 
and laid his, down life, laid his life down for us to save us and to restore that image. When we remember that, how can we fail? How can we fail to see the image of God in others? How can we fail to see past what they look like? How can we fail to see past what they've done? How can we feel, fail to see past how hard work they are and see them as God sees them? As Christ saw us, beautiful, precious in his sight. How can we not do that? How can we not love them? How can we not love them as we love ourselves, as Christ has loved us? When we remember that we brought Jesus Christ nothing, empty-handed, spiritually bankrupt, and it's all our fault. When we remember that, will we see that when we see the poor, the needy, when we see someone who needs our help, we are looking in the mirror. That's us before Christ. And when we remember that when Christ saw us empty-handed, he did not cling to all that he had. He didn't hold on to his honor, to his glory, to his status. He didn't hold on to his very life. He gave it all for you and for me. How can we fail to give generously, sacrificially to others? As the Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane once said, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the poor and thankless and undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and you will be too. Let's pray together. Lord, I stand here with my brothers and sisters in Christ, with those gathered here this afternoon, knowing that I fall so far short of what you call us to, a life of doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly. Thank you that you forgive us when we do fall short. Help us to long with every fiber of our being to, to be more like Christ, to live lives of justice. Help us to remember all that you have done for us. That we might be willing to love and give and share all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.